All right. Here we go. I don't know why I'm fixing my hair. That's what I was wondering. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta be pretty. All right. Wait, am I on your OnlyFans right now? Hopefully <laughs> <laughs> you have to tell me. Yep, hold on. I'm just taking my shoes off. I'll get my oh, feet up here in a second. No. Say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Shut up. Hey, Bubblies, and welcome to My Streaming Bubble. It's that podcast where I talk about the shows that I love with the people I tolerate. I'm your host, Jen, and in this episode, Eric and Marty have leveled up to join me, and we are Yoshi Saddle, and we're here to make you listen to us talk about Sp- Scott Pilgrim versus the world. One, two, three, four. I tried not. Oh, my God. I tried so hard not to laugh during your introduction right there. I'm so sorry. That's quite I love all that right. You, I didn't even know you had drumsticks in your hands. That, that was, was a great. nice surprise. I love it. We got a drum set from our buddy Ryan a while ago. And so Timmy ordered like a whole fucking package of them, drumsticks. Not the food drumsticks, but uh, <laughs> that would have been better because sticks are unbelievable. They're not going to uh, make a lot of noise when you drum with them. <laughs> exactly. It's going to be very messy and sticky. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was writing that all up, I was like, I got up and I ran. I was like, drumsticks. So that's how, how that went. We're very so. proud of you. Thanks. Came up with that all by myself this morning. You're a true Foley artist now. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So welcome, guys. Thanks for joining me today. How are you now? Good and you? Not so go. bad. We are. <laughs> so as I said, we are here to talk about 2010 Scott Pilgrim versus the World, which is available on Netflix, rentable on various other streaming services, or free at your local library. So we'll go ahead and get started. So this is your spoiler warning slash brief synopsis of the movie. Uh, What IMDb says is, uh, in a magically realistic version of Toronto, a young man must defeat his new girlfriend's seven evil exes one by one in order to win her heart. What I says about this is Michael Sarah is a slightly more badass Michael Sarah, but still awkward as fuck. (laughs) (laughs) And and kind of a dick. Kind of a dick. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So we're going to go ahead and get, just dive right in. I have made a small tweak to the recording outline um, that I, in an attempt to always try and capture, like, a natural conversation about obsessing about a show or movie. You know, when I first started, I did all the bullet points and sometimes they got really long and I was like, fuck, that's a lot of shit. And it just felt kind of intimidating and daunting. So to try and keep it more loosey goosey and let the tolerables bring their talking points uh, to the discussion, I'm experimenting with a slightly different tweaked format where I don't make the bullet points tolerables. You can bring up to five talking points. You can share them before recording or not. That's completely up to you. But we'll go around, bring up a point, and we all kind of discuss. If people end up having the same talking point, great. Then that must have been a really big thing in the in the show or movie. And we'll just keep on discussing it. So, all right. So, we'll start with um, our general thoughts and the first time we saw this movie. So, we'll start with you, Eric. Okay. General thoughts. This movie has a very special place in my heart. But I will say that watching the movie originally when it came out in 2010 versus watching it in 2022 has a very different feel. A lot has changed in the last 12 years as a society. And although this is an incredibly fun movie to watch, and it's just so quirky and it's got so much going for it, there's also a lot 
that we have grown as a society, I believe, that this movie may not be able to pass if it was just released today. And, and that's still not to say that the movie isn't great. I love almost every single thing there is about this film. I am very happy to say that I am one of the people who put at least 10 or $12 towards its domestic box office sales, even though this movie was a complete flop. But I did see this in theaters, so I was very happy about that. I've probably watched this movie maybe, oh, geez, maybe a few dozen times over the last 20 years. Or 20 years, Jesus Christ. 12 years. I'm getting old. Um, but overall, general thought, despite how some things may not have aged well with this film, I absolutely love it. I just think it's always a fun watch. I could turn it on in the background and like do something else and just kind of hear something going on, but not have to pay attention, but be like, turn your mind off on a wire, you know, <laughs> just, you know, something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, those are those are my basic general thoughts of Scott Pilgrim. Very nice. And Marty. Yeah, I think this is this is one of my favorite movies. Uh, and for the three of us, I know we will all be able to relate to this. But for any of your younger listeners, you may be scratching your head when I say this. But like when you used to flip through channels and not everything was just streaming where you selected exactly what you wanted to see back when you didn't have choices in my day. <laughs> Uh, when, when you got to watch what the tv said you were gonna watch uh, this was always one of those movies that like no matter where it was in the movie i would stop and i would watch the rest of it yes uh it, it was just one of those that i i just i love it so much it was one of the movies that i was most excited slash scared to share with my kid because i'm like this is a great movie you can like it or leave the house forever <laughs> And I really love you. So I really want you to like the movie and stay in the house. Uh, thankfully she did, uh, whether that was hmm. fear-based or not. Um, well, she's, <laughs> she's gay. She loves Brie Larson. And I think, you know, that was, that was enough of a selling point for her. <laughs> so she was like, uh, yes, please. Captain Marvel. Uh, but it was, it's one of those movies that now when either of us are like, Hey, you want to watch something? And we can't really decide on something. It comes back to Scott Pilgrim nice. and it's one of the movies that she loves to share with her friends. And like Eric said, there's, yeah, there's, there's some of it that, that doesn't really hold up, but I think especially for, you know, for people like with music, because music is such a big driver in this movie, uh, depending on like when it entered your life and what age you were, when it entered your life, it very easily burrows into like a very deep and you know loving place in your heart mm -hmm. yeah absolutely now this movie i saw this i rented it so it's probably like 2011 or so um and so i was a little on the older side but i i loved it i loved all the video game references it's fun it's flashy it's it's bright oh, bright and shiny <laughs> loud noises <laughs> the the tinkly sound of the coins that's like my favorite thing about lego games uh <laughs> but I, it was it was so much fun and it's such a nice large cast especially when 
you rewatch it now and you're like, holy shit, they've got Superman, yeah. Captain Marvel, yeah. Captain yeah. America. <laughs> so many names. Really. So many names. Huntress. So it, yeah. it's a lot of fun to go and see a lot of these actors in their pre-superhero era. I think for me, Chris Evans is one of the funnest bits, um, especially now since he's so associated with Captain America. <laughs> this total douchey character is so yep. much fun. <laughs> and he even puts on the douchey voice. He does. And the little like movie clip that like fake movie clips, like you're gonna hear two sounds. First sound is me hanging up, and the second sound is me shooting you or whatever. Oh, oh it's man. gorgeous. It's just wonderfully done. Um I agree there are some aspects that didn't age well. And when I sat down and I watched it, because I've watched it almost twice. I started watching it again this morning. But when I first sat down and watched it, I was like, no, no, this is mm. not good. But mm -hmm. I I was able to get over that and still enjoy it for what it is mm -hmm. um, for its kind of place and time in history and everything. So I didn't let it poo-poo on my watch too much. But I... I still had a lot of fun with it. There were still some issues I had, but overall, I think I think it's still a, a a good movie to watch. You know, like Marty, you said you shared it with your kid. I think I I think Ross, my oldest, would really have a lot of fun with this movie, even though he probably wouldn't get all of the video game references because it's like nonstop. Yeah, it really is. Mm -hmm. And it makes it a and I think that's what makes it a lot of fun. So. I think it's still very enjoyable in 2023. Um, you just kind of have to remember product of its time. There is at least one yeah. R word drop. Um, mm -hmm. But other than that, it's, it's not like Tropic Thunder level of like, you can't make that no. today. Right. Exactly. Right. But you still, there's do... some, there's some things about the movie that they mentioned, like the, the, like the references towards knives and her being Asian and, and just like the, the Kung, the Kung towards, chicken towards you know? women in general. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. But you know, when you, if you don't want to look at it too deeply in that sense, I, I think, you know, like with the knives character and the, you know, him, uh, Scott going for like the 17 year old Chinese mm -hmm. school girl in a private school with the uniform that clearly kind of shows where he's at in his life and maybe a little bit of uh, like commentary on <laughs> the fetishizations of um, us. <laughs> mm. <laughs> of you. Of us. Of Hi. Me. me. Bye. <laughs> so I, yeah, I, when some of those lines kind of popped up, I kind of perked up a little bit, but like I said, I didn't let it poo poo because yeah i think it's i think it really had to do more with the character and not so much like i think some of that was thing. yeah i think some of that was intentional because yeah. when you look at scott as our protagonist he's an asshole mm -hmm. and he's a mm -hmm. terrible person for a lot of the movie and like a lot of movies we watch the growth of a or many characters and mm -hmm. so we're we're just painting the deep dark hole in a lot of ways that he kind of lives in, mm -hmm. and like even even with his roommate Wallace when he's like oh, quit gaying up the place, mm -hmm. yeah, you know it's like like it's his fucking place, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So the start for, for of the one. movie, the start <laughs> yeah. of the movie shows that clearly, but yeah, yeah and I yeah. I have to, I have to completely agree with you on that, Marty. I mean, he's not only is he an asshole, but you know he's. 
I guess you would, I would define Scott as very um, reliant on other people. He's, he doesn't know how to take care of himself, yet he seems to have, feel like he has some sort of authority over some others, especially like when he, especially with the band in my, in, in my, in uh, my opinion, but yeah, yeah, but, but it is a movie about growth in the end. So mm-hmm. yeah. there, it comes to that realization once we come to the climax. Yeah. It's like yeah. naivety multiplied by arrogance equals Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and Eric, when you say that he is Scott's dependent on other people, I mean, we see that through the fights, he only beats the first one on his own and then yeah, he gets some true. sort of assistance for all the rest of them so i thought that was kind of so when you bring that up i thought that was they did a really good job showing that mm-hmm. all right so we'll go ahead and get started with talking points and marty would you like to go first with your first talking point yeah and so and i'm gonna do this almost as like a beautiful segue handoff to eric because of something that he mentioned in our chat ahead of time mm-hmm. but you know, to, to kind of paint a little bit more of the picture, you know, Scott's the bass player in a band. And so if the main character is in a band, you're probably going to have music as a, a strong uh, driver, pun intended, Edgar Wright, uh, <laughs> as a storytelling aid. And to me, the use of music to drive and emphasize a lot of the visual cues is absolutely fantastic. There's just mm-hmm. dozens of times where you hear like, you know, the, the surprising line is delivered and you hear like a little one-up noise from a video game mm-hmm. or, you know, when Scott's like banging his head against the streetlight and you see the thonk, like the, the word spelled out comic wise thonk, it's on the drum beat. Every time he hits his head, mm-hmm. it's on the drum beat. And there's so many of those just like, absolutely fantastic accents. And I think that's kind of, I mean, I I have multiple talking points, but they could all fit under the umbrella of attention to detail Mm -hmm. because the level of attention to detail in this movie is insane. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my big thing. And I, I mean, I guess I'll just throw it to you guys and say like, what on that subject of like using music to either accentuate a visual cue or like really add to like a specific like moment. What was your guys's favorite examples of those? Cause there's plenty of them. God, man, I can't believe that you actually mentioned the whole thing about the effects. I literally have my, have written in my notes under my uh, talkie point for Scott Pilgrim versus the music uh, <laughs> that the sound of just the sound effects alone in this movie are very well-timed. and oh just and like you said you know when he's uh when he goes to gideon's for the first time to fight for ramona and they you know his bandmate that's what he's doing and he says getting a life and he grabs the little one the one up out of the air and it makes yeah exactly you know it's it's little things like that that this movie does see the the music overall bring i feel like brings this film together but it's also just Music isn't just a melody. It could be effects too. And the effects that this movie puts off are all over the place. Mm -hmm. And even when him, I think another great example is when him and knives are in the arcade together playing that really cool, like uh, a DDR ninja game, DDR ninja game. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the music for that scene and the effects all blended so well together. And if you're a gamer like me, or I'm assuming like you guys, you know, you can keep up with that and see, all right, 
that chimed because he made this move, this chimed because she did that, you know, and it was really cool. And it's just really fun to watch that. And, you know, as far as like the music itself goes, like, oh my gosh, just what a soundtrack. First off, this movie has a fantastic soundtrack. Um, I mentioned in our group chat earlier this week, this is on, it's on my regular rotation with my Spotify. I mean, just to name a few, you got the Rolling Stones, you got Beck, you got T-Rex, you got Metric. You even got some originals from the Sex Bombs, you know? I mean, it's really cool to see how they utilize the music in this film to set up the scenes, um, to develop the characters, um, because we actually see much character development with the entire band of Sex Bomb from where they are in the beginning, practicing in their living room, going from a gig is a gig is a gig <laughs> to being just and being happy to get those gigs to just being so depressed playing in this club for Gideon, you know, yeah. and, and, but it, but still the music was part of that progression. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just such, even in the background, there's such great soundtracks or such great artists that contributed to this film. And I don't think, I don't, I mean, I, it's a shame that Scott Pilgrim, didn't get the recognition when it did but or that that it, that I believe it should have but I think that the music in this movie is just it's top tier it really sets the film the way that I think mm-hmm. a film should be set when it comes by its soundtrack would it be fair to say that and I I think it is but the music itself is a character in this movie oh 100 like percent absolutely, absolutely agree yeah. hmm like even at, even uh, when uh, um, Clash at the Demon Head comes, it plays the secret show. Um, mm-hmm. The song that they open with um, is uh, just absolutely wonderful. Um, Black Sheep. Uh, Black Sheep. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, that's originally sung by the Metrics, or I think it's just Metric. I always forget. Um, but what was cool is Brie Larson actually recorded her own vocals for that. Um, I think I actually, I don't know if you guys listened to it, but I sent you, I sent a link uh, yep. in the chat to the Brie Larson version and it's almost just as good. I didn't really, like, I didn't know she could really sing like that. It's so, yeah, it was pretty cool. The, uh, I believe that was released as the 10 year anniversary celebration of oh. Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, I think and you're right. And when that was released, because again, daughter who has a crush on Brie Larson, uh, she immediately brought that to my attention. She's like, dad, 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 dad. Oh, cool. <laughs> like it's, it's out like the actual on Spotify Brie Larson version. I'm like, awesome. Yeah. Cool. Nice. I just yeah. used it as an excuse to rewatch the movie, but <laughs> now I can just add that to the workout list. But. I love it. I love it. Oh yeah. And just like, there was even that moment when he's battling three, you know, after the show and just the base off. You know, yeah. oh, the bass off was so fantastic. That I was that I, moment. And I think he was actually playing the tone uh the bass, uh the bass line for Final Fantasy during that uh during that fight. I could be wrong. I did not fact check that. Well, but... he does play the bass line for Final Fantasy 2 after he breaks up with knives. I yeah. don't right, know right. if he if that was then the um what he played during you know, okay, yeah. I like it. I didn't fa- I don't I didn't fact check it at all, but Still, like just that moment was so cool. It's like, it's like, it's a battle of the band where somebody's like going to turn, get hurt in the end. I guess I don't know how to really put that. I didn't want to. I didn't like want a physical battle way. of the bands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's that's I guess my uh, that's my two cents on the on the music. What about you, Jen? 
Right on. Well, I I completely agree with uh, both of you. Not a whole hell of a lot to add to that. So I, I enjoyed the soundtrack. I would agree that the music itself and the different bands are all kind of their own character, um, mm-hmm. kind of showing the different styles of the different bands. Like the first one we meet is the one that's the Clash and the and the Boys or Clash and the Boys or Crash, Crash, Crash. Oh, Crash right. and the Boys. Is that's that right. girl a boy too? Again, <laughs> not really appropriate anymore, but right. <laughs> yes, I, yeah. the song's sad. about you. Yeah, I'm so very very sad. <laughs> yeah, and they're just like real quick songs and everything, and I just it's it's just a lot of fun, and I love how it does really kind of carry you from like scene to scene, fight to fight, reference mm-hmm. to reference. It's like Marty said, this movie, there's so much like painstaking detail. It's impressive as fuck. The timing mm-hmm. and the the added noise. Because, yeah, if you play video games, you know, the music is a part of that, right? You you mm-hmm. play Zelda and you leave mm-hmm. the music on and, you know, the, the sun sets and it gets dark and spooky or you're riding a pony. I'm, and I'm talking about Ocarina of Time, obviously. And you're riding the horse and then it goes faster, faster. faster. Anyways, <laughs> um. It, well, it's it even works. with like Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. Like everybody knows the dee 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 And then everybody yeah. also knows yep. the dee 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 Yep. Level 2-1, right? <laughs> exactly. Like there, it's like the boss themes. There's there's boss, like the, the boss theme kicks in for, you know, for everybody. Yeah, it's, yeah, I'll, I'll stop expounding on my own point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I just. Yeah, I I agree. It it just adds to the fun and it just really kind of helps hold your attention. Not that this movie like dips in any way or at any point where you're just like, but it really it does everything. This movie does everything it can to keep your attention and not feel like it's forcing you to watch it. But just adding, it's like it's like sprinkles on a Sunday or something. It's oh, I like that added and yeah, yeah, Yeah. flair. So um, yeah, very cool. With that, I was going to ask you guys, what are your favorite video game references and or fight sequences? Um, because, and again, there are like a kajillion video game references and everything like, I mean, even the little things that we've already talked about. But was there anything that ever really stood out to you or just like, yep. I loved that? Yes. Eric, uh, then you may go first. <laughs> all right. <laughs> okay. So it's it's towards the beginning. It's actually right at the beginning of the movie when we first meet Knives. She comes to watch Scott and the band play. And uh, she's being introduced to all of his friends. And she sits down next to young Neil. And she asks, what do you play? <laughs> and he's like, oh, Tetris. Zelda. Zelda. <laughs> and then he then he and then he then he ends that by saying it's kind of a loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite video game reference moment in there because it's just so awkward for Neil have to having to answer and nonetheless talking to a girl. So <laughs> <laughs> and just to kind of add to that little scene, I don't know if you noticed, but uh young Neil in that scene is wearing a gray t-shirt and it's got three empty comic book panels on Mm -hmm. his shirt to show that he's just kind of like a an empty yeah he's just kind of like a husk he's just kind of like a he's just a dude he doesn't really notice that yeah he doesn't have a lot of opinion really and as all of our characters he grows obviously but yeah yeah, Yeah. that's i that was a a fun little add-on that when i was when i was re-watching for like the hundredth time i I noticed that how many times did you how many times did you watch it this week? This week, only two. 
I watched it twice also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like I've I've watched it like I watched it over winter break before we had this scheduled. And yeah, it's it's a go-to kind of feel-good movie in our house. So. Absolutely. Um, yeah. let's see. My favorite video game reference is Gideon's logo. Anybody notice that? I did not. It is no, but up- I'm gonna, I'm pulling it up right the now. Upside down triforce from Zelda. <gasps> Sorry, that <laughs> I gotta at least that's doing... what it looked like to me. I gotta stop doing it. It looked weird, like loud it was gasps. the the upside down triforce. I mean, it, obviously there was some extra in there because you can't have all of the copywriting. Right. But you know, he has that? oh yeah. That one it kind of, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I think you're right. It's it's in green, you know, on right, right, uh, Ramona's head. But oh, god, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, yeah, that was that was that was pretty cool. And like I, the first time I I noticed it was probably on you know rewatch fifty or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, is like I was never really a big Zelda guy. I'm like, but I'm pretty sure that's the Triforce. Yeah. Like, hmm. I don't know. Like, I've, I've seen it on people as a tattoo. Mm-hmm. And they always, like, when you get that tattoo, it's usually like so you can see it correctly. So then when they show it to people, it's upside down. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, I think, what made it trigger in my head. I'm like, hey, that looks like the logo from Scott Pilgrim. I'm like, son of a bitch. I bet that was intentional. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So, again, they, they just pack all these references in. And I feel like you can notice something new with every rewatch, you know, Mario, yes, like hundred percent, like the logo. So, Oh God, this was, you know, I wrote it down and it's really hard for me to pick one. Cause just to pick one, because I love, you know, like Chris Evans and the skateboard, the grind, doing the grindy thingy. Um, <laughs> There's girls back, watching. <laughs> just <laughs> took me back to like the Tony Hawk days playing that and being shit at it. I fucking suck. But, I would have to say that I think visually uh the the battle with the twins has mm. gotta be has gotta be like probably my favorite. Um now when I was first watching first time watching it for the podcast, I was really like Asian twins and dragons, okay. And but then reading about it in that in the comic book, the twins in the book version are supposed to resemble more of the double dragon brothers. And so then yes. That's where they get the, and I was like, all right, fine, I'll allow it. (laughs) (laughs) But it's still really cool to watch just with the special effects. You got music, you you see them being blasted with like the sound waves. You see that during the bass off as well. (laughs) They literally Uh, tore the roof off. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, and I think that one is a lot of fun because then behind the twins, you kind of have like a Tetris-y background kind of going on too. So just a lot happening a really fun kind of um, battle of the bands moment as well. Again, bringing in that music component, but then it just riddled with the um, video game stuff. I think that one, that one, it's hard to pick, but I, that one's a lot, a lot of fun. And I I think think that was, I think that was the only time where the battle of the bands have the music played at the same time. Yes. Yeah. And it's such a yep. beautiful like meld of the EDM and they're yep. like kind of crunchy indie, you know, mm-hmm. driving rock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely. And so the two they, songs blended together so well too. They yes. really did. Yep. Yeah, it was really cool. It didn't feel like disconjointed or you know what I mean? Didn't feel or forced. Forced or like you're going from one genre of music to another. So you, you don't feel like you're being ping ponged. That makes sense. Right. So it, it, but wow, it, Jen, really? While talking about the Asian twins, 
It's a Forrest Gump reference. Come on now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, in that same vein, what did you guys... So this movie kind of takes place, like IMDb says, in this like magical world of Toronto. (laughs) Where every white person knows martial arts. (laughs) (laughs) I'd expect nothing less, though, from Toronto. I mean, yeah. I love all like again the, all the video game stuff. So this movie kind of takes place in like a video game universe where people break out into fights, you know, verses and and then instead of song and dance numbers, you have fight sequences set to music and everything, but then with mm-hmm. that really obvious video game references. What do you guys think about about the movie taking place in that kind of in that kind of setting, that kind of universe? And are there any other kind of like titles, shows, movies, books, or anything that you think would work well in this Scott Pilgrim video game verse? Oh, I think Ready Player One probably would uh, oh, fit very Lord. well in there. Absolutely, yes. absolutely. Just two different ends of the world, though. It's just, yep. or, you know, but yeah, I think Ready Player One would be a fine example of what would fit well in that universe. Um, and I think it's really cool. I mean, you don't. I mean. With a lot of movies today, you know, I don't think a lot of movies, especially with science fit, like science fiction movies um, and future movies with futuristic tones, you know, and maybe more of a, a cyberpunk aesthetics to it. We don't really get a whole lot of just like video game theme worlds, you know, without actual video game characters being involved, mm-hmm. if, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's like it's nice to see human beings living in a world that's kind of revolved around games in some way shape or form you know like it's just it's 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 not even considered really i think a recreation it's just like it's part of society so regularly that you could just grab a one-up out of the air you know you wanted to if you can go and fight your nega version of yourself you know it's (laughs) just these are in these universes this is just com- considered the norm. It's and I Tuesday. Think it, it's, <laughs> yeah. it, it's Tuesday at 2.43 p.m., you know? It's just... And I think it's really cool. And I don't think we get a lot of that in movies. I think we're seeing it kind of more regularly, um, especially with, like, the evolution of Twitch and how that in gaming game, gaming streaming has had an effect on, on, on society. Oh, very, very um, so, I, but... Yeah, um, I, I hope we get to see more of it. Um, RPO, in my opi- in my opinion, kind of perfected it. Um, so it's hard to kind of top what that movie did. But, you know, with technology just getting better and better and better, I mean, I think we're going to see a lot more video game-themed worlds that are actually, you know, inhabited by human beings. So it's just a matter of who's going to make it. I think I think you could take a lot of 80s 90s action movies and drop them into that type of world specifically oh like anything with jackie chan oh my God, because be he so was fun. such a like a comedic wonderful way to his action scenes where that stuff kind of already happened in his mm-hmm. in his movies like rumble in the bronx where oh. you know he's oh, like sure. going through the shopping cart and then like you know the the freezer door the refrigerator door <laughs> and then like the <laughs> freakouts and all that stuff like that that absolutely could just 
very easily beautifully fall into that template oh my god like 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 his movies but like the old kind of like the scrolling scene video games where he's like running side scrollers yeah 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 yeah. oh my god yeah one long tracking shot kind of (laughs) hey kind of like that hallway fight in daredevil yes oh that'd be awesome but yeah oh man yeah it's it's one of those things um oh my god what it's a it's a world war two movie or world war one movie recently ish it's called like 100 and i want to say 187 because of listening to <laughs> rap music as a kid uh, but it's it's like the whole entire movie is a single shot the oh. whole damn movie no it's shit. not really a single shot but you know it is okay. portrayed to be one single shot for the entire movie and like the, to me the story wasn't all that great from that movie but like from the cinematography standpoint, I think it won an Oscar for it. I still can't remember the title of the damn thing, but <laughs> that type of like long, you know, it just, it's a different way to tell a story. And I think that's one of the wonderful things about this movie is that kind of very quickly setting the rules of this like weird video game world where it's like, Oh yeah. These two guys got in a fight in a pizza parlor and now there's like a hole in this brick wall, but it's totally cool. We're just going to step through that hole in the wall and we'll catch you for a slice next time. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, you're talking about 1917, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. I knew there were numbers involved. <laughs> At first I was like, wait a minute. Is he talking about Dunkirk? Cause I know that had a lot one shot, but no, 1917 yeah, was all one. Yeah. 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 That, and that was, that was a great, it was a great way to tell that story, but uh, similarly, like you were saying, Jen, to have to have like long single, you know, single shots of that type of stuff. And you see this a lot of times on like the behind the scenes. Uh, I can't remember what Jim Carrey show with Ricky Lindholm, where they had like this, this, it was a single shot and it was like three different decades went by in the single shot. And the camera just kept rotating around the same room um, eternal- and on the no, it wasn't uh, Eternal no. Sunshine. No, no, it was, no. It was something more recent. But okay, anyway, they just, like, the camera slowly goes around the room in a circle. And, you know, like, Ricky Lindholm walks out one door, and, and they have an overhead camera just for the behind-the-scenes stuff. You see her sprint around the back of the thing, and oh, she's got a different dress on underneath. So she, like, strips off the one dress, and she's got, like, her 80s dress on. And then she comes through the door again, and she's got a different hairstyle on, and it's just hmm. like this super quick transitions, but it's all in a single shot. And then you hear the crew like explode with joy after the like they got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, God, that relief that must it's, be. <laughs> it's that it's that type of like that type of unique lens, again, pun intended, uh, to tell <laughs> a story through is uh it's one of the things that makes this movie so damn fun. Edgar Wright is an amazing director and when you look at specifically like his transitions in this movie, they are unique as all get out and amazing. Like just the title card mm-hmm. where it's like the band's playing and they just keep zooming out, keep zooming out. Yeah. And then they're like, how the fuck long is this living room? You know, it's like mm-hmm. 60 feet long. <laughs> right. And then finally you're right between young Neil and knives on the couch. And you know, it's that kind of stuff and how, again with like the music like accenting some of the beats in in the storytelling uh uh, god scott invites i can't remember if it was knives or ramona i mean we actually we know it was both at some point uh to the rocket 
and and he starts to get the R out and then just bam, smash cut and you see Rocket. So he doesn't get mm-hmm. the word out, but like you basically feel him get the word out. Right. And uh, there's another one where Neil is like talking to him in the he's talking to them in the living room where they're practicing. And then he goes, Scott, like all in the same breath. But when he says Scott, now they're on stage at their next battle of the bands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's so many like really cool transitions like that throughout the whole movie that, you know, again, it's it's just kind of that unique way of storytelling that we don't see all the time and it's just another reason why i love the movie yeah yeah the transitions were amazing i i those are so much fun and it just really kind of the way you go from maybe like a an awake scene where he's like maybe standing there with like knives or something and then it shifts into like a dream sequence and then ramona skates by and she's like it's early in the film and she's like you're just having a dream and then the way that all and it makes you feel kind of like you're dreaming almost like what is real what is reality that like video Mm -hmm. game versus reality kind of thing so Mm -hmm. this movie it's oh god like i said you can pick out something new every time i swear to god because it's so packed in there but it doesn't feel busy you know eric we talked about with um prisoners of the ghost land being visually loud yeah there's a lot going on visually in this movie but it does not feel loud it doesn't feel overwhelming at all exactly no. not the pacing the pacing of the of it all is just perfect you know it yeah it doesn't overwhelm the senses um and i feel like you know like you know edgar wright and his entire crew did a fantastic job making sure that us as the as the as the audience are able to keep up with everything that's going on despite mm-hmm. all the visual effects it they don't they don't overpower you and i yeah. really like that i'm it like doesn't... I was just going like to say, it doesn't Lands. distract. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't distract <laughs> yeah. from the plot. Whereas, yeah, Ghostland, the first, as we talked about in that, uh, the second Nicolas Cage episode, that movie is so visually loud that the first time you watch it, you're distracted by you're distracted by it and you don't realize how goddamn simple the plot is. <laughs> <laughs> Even the second time you watch it, it's still, you still got to really focus. But yeah. isn't that a, that's a sign of good writing though, isn't it? Because you kind of write, you write for like tears of like acknowledgement or knowledge or nerdiness. And I think of the big bang theory when I think of that, because like it got, it got to be a popular show because it's like, Oh, ha ha ha. Look at all these funny nerds and how awkward they are. And as a nerd, I'm like, fuck that. I'm not, you know, like I'm not furthering that stereotype. And my father-in-law watched it and he loved it. And he himself is very much a nerd. He's like, you really need to watch it. There are so many jokes that are written just for you that nobody else is going to get that, you know, it, you can tell it's done with love and big bang theory. The only one I can think of off the top of my head is when Leonard is reading or uh, Sheldon is reading the roommate agreement to Leonard. And he says, in, uh, unless uh, I, I am able to procure a TARDIS in which, uh, you know, this agreement would be irrelevant. He stops for a beat. Apparently it's irrelevant because obviously he hasn't found his way to time travel yet <laughs> and come back and fix all these problems. So, and, and I think there's a lot of that in this movie. Like, mm-hmm. Eric, you mentioned like the one-up thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think everybody, every parent, every boomer, would know like okay like it's a person's head it's another life that's what a one-up is okay you know he can die he can come back gotcha but the gamers recognize the sound 
Yes. Yep. You know, That's the right. D, like the gamers recognize the sound and they recognize, you know, that oftentimes they do rotate, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in the video mm-hmm. games. Yep. And and there's just like there's that extra level of detail that says we're not making fun of you. We're writing this for you. Yeah. Right. Right. Oh, I got to agree with that 100 percent, Marty. And, you know, for gamers, I think just those little details. It just shows how much the filmmakers are trying the to font. the audience. Oh, the fonts. Yeah. Yeah. The fonts the alone. Hell, come on. And we even mentioned it, but just the opening sequence of the universal sign where it was yeah. the 8-bit the music yeah. and it was the 8 and it was the 8-bit or chip logo. I mean, it was just, just the fine details is what makes this movie what it is in the end. And I don't I don't know if y'all noticed this either, but did you notice that the fight scenes don't actually start until Wallace yells fight? Every time, uh, no. He's like, no. Yeah. Yeah. Are you serious? I'm, I'm 100 serious. <laughs> Grabbing the remote, cueing. He's up. like in the first one, it's obvious against Patel. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm gonna jump into like my, the evil exes are my big point. So I'm, I'm just gonna yeah, let yeah. this Let's, parallel into that. There we go. So <laughs> with, with Wallace having to yell fight the first time against Patel, it's like big and obvious fight, and. Then, you know, we see the big verses come down and we see the health bars, which is just a uh, chef's kiss, like street fighter, mm-hmm. like, you know, straight to my heart. The evil exes, as they appear in order, all have a numeric designation in yes. their fight. Yep. So Matthew Patel, he's got his hair. So over his face, so you can only see one eye. He's got one chevron on mm-hmm. his jacket. He puts up one finger and when scott beats him he gets 1000 points when he fights chris evans chris evans has a two tattooed on his neck there's a two on his car uh he holds when he does like the i'm coming for you it's two fingers uh, <laughs> felt really weird doing that uh, <laughs> i just was picturing chris evans and it's two fingers doing that for you yeah yes. okay so that's why you're blushing gotcha <laughs> Uh, <laughs> okay. Oh, and then, yeah, oh my God. Them, and it's, it's 2000 points. And then even after he does the grindy thingy uh, at the <laughs> bottom, there are two big X's at the bottom of the stairs. Oh yeah. For when he, when he fights Brandon Routh, it's. Uh, I love him. He's Iowa too. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, he is. That's right. I forgot he's about that. Yeah. He's a football player for Iowa. So he's in a three piece band. He wears the number three on his shirt. Um, in the scene where he, he again not able to do anymore, uh, punches the highlights out of Knives' hair. <laughs> there are threes all over that room. His shirts have three stripes on them. When Scott gets knocked into the alley, there are threes written on the trash cans. Oh, and then shit. when he dies, it's 3,000 points. Yep, Roxy. A little tougher to, to catch this one. Roxy, the building they're in is in the shape of a number four. Oh. And then during the fight, all of the lights are in groups of four, and there are four disco balls and 4,000 points. Yep. For the Katyanagi twins, this one's even a little bit finer point. They each have their knobs that they turn up at the end for like the big fight before the double dragons show up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One turns it to five, the other turns it to six. 11. Oh. And when they and when they get beat, the points start at 5000 and they go up to 6000. And for Gideon, when he does his like super power up electro sword thing, all of his bonuses are plus 7 mm-hmm. or multiples of 7. 
his attacks are all worth 700 points. And then even if you look at his logos, they do kind of look like upside down sevens. Mm -hmm. So, and, and all of those, like someone has to yell fight. It's not always Wallace, but someone has to yell fight. Cause in the last one, it's Kim. And again, it's that video oh, game yeah. trope right there. Going back to Mortal yeah, Kombat yeah, Street yeah, Fighter yeah, and all that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't begin the battle until someone says fight. So yeah, yeah that's a good catch. That's a really and, good catch, man. And you see on, in one of the fights, you see Scott is wearing a shirt that says zero. Yep. Because he's not an evil ex. And then after he fights Roxy, because they're kind of teetering as to whether or not they're broken up, he's wearing a shirt that says four and there's a one half yep. written on it. Whoa, dude. How, as, I did not as if he's I did almost that together. Uh, yeah, as, I, as if he's almost the next X. Oh, gosh. Just the <laughs> details that they throw out there. So, so minor, much. but they're so, so, so there. Many. Yeah. I've seen this movie so many times, I never even caught that. Like, uh, wow. Well, and it's good. like you catch a lot of, there's, you know, some of the more obvious, you know, number representations for the yep. evil X's. But then, you know, Marty, as you're talking about it, because I read a bit about, um, uh, on the IMDb trivia and they had kind of had them all listed out as well. And it's like, yeah, notice that one, notice that one, not that one, 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 or that one, but I mm -hmm. noticed that one. <laughs> There's so many. And so again, it's that, yeah, that level of, of detail and uh, appreciation and homage to gaming. It's, it's fucking beautiful. And it's like, yeah. for, for me, it's a lot like um, for, for, hardcore Seinfeld fans. Yeah. You can find the Superman in every episode. There's a Superman. Yep. Mm -hmm. And sure. for hardcore psych fans, me, uh, <laughs> there's a pineapple in every oh. episode. Oh, and I've found most of them over eight seasons. <laughs> That's how much I've watched that show. God. But same, Is same kind of thing. Is it even an Easter egg anymore at that point? <laughs> I mean, well, at at this point, I have it. to like Google it and I'm like, okay, <laughs> I give up. Like, where the fuck is it? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, it, it's just the, you know, the way that that whole, it, it's again, it's just more attention to detail. Like the, if, if you want to just watch a story about a guy, you know, kind of learning how to be a decent human being, you can get that. You know, if you want to see deeper levels they're there for you mm -hmm. Ab absolutely i love it and then there was something you were saying earlier marty and i kind of highlighted in my notes real quick i can't remember exactly what it was but um you know we talk about like the the music and everything in the games and and how they all work together one of the bits of trivia on imdb was that edgar wright obtained permission to use the famous theme music from the snes game the legend of zelda by writing mm -hmm. a letter to nintendo saying that it is considered to be the nursery rhyme of this generation. And Aww. I don't know why, but I fucking love that. That is so sweet and, you know, kind of true. And just the way that that's phrased, the nursery rhyme of this generation. And I'm like, now I want to just listen to the Zelda <laughs> soundtrack. Yeah. Like putting that one on loop as I go to bed. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. My last talking point that I have is about the manic pixie dream girl trope. Mm. Now, oh, Ramona. Oh, Ramona. Now, I've read a couple of articles kind of talking about the trope itself and scrolled through Wikipedia. And there's been points made that Ramona doesn't fall under the more stereotypical definition of sure. the manic pixie dream girl. And I could see that. 
But what did you guys, what do you guys think of kind of that trope, how it was used here, and then how they, how the character isn't just like a flat two-dimensional character. She herself has some depth and um, person, her own kind of personality. But what do you guys um, think about that? Well, uh, since we are on that discussion, that kind of actually is uh, also kind of part of one of my uh, five talking points. If it, if we get do, if if it's okay if I bring that up too, because it yeah, definitely dives into that. Absolutely. So, so um, and we don't I, we can go about this however you want, but basically, uh, one of my talking points is Scott Pilgrim versus the women in his life. And the very first thing I write here is Ramona, aka the love interest, aka the manic pixie dream girl. Hmm. And I think in a way she borderlines what the definition of a manic pixie dream girl is without carrying, I think, a lot of the weight that I think manic pixie dream girls actually carry. Because a lot of guys are out, you know, when you look at Ramona just on the surface, okay, before you get to know her or anything like that, you know, a lot of men look at her as just this very cool looking, possibly very spontaneous woman, you know, she's going to make my life so much better and cooler and oh, that's the one right there. She's it. And then, you know, you get to know her and you get to learn that just because she looks this way doesn't mean that she is this way. She's got a lot of baggage. Ramona's got a lot of baggage that she's carrying. And she um she's dealing a lot. She, you know, she she's trying to move forward with her life, but at the same time, she's running a lot. She's doing a lot of running. So I just feel like for the Manic Pixie Dream Girl aspect, you know, she's not there to make anyone's life any better. She's not there to make Scott feel like he has purpose you know she's really trying to find her own purpose and i think that's the thing with the manic pixie dream girl trope is a lot of men try to use that style of uh you know woman as a a segue for them to start feeling better about them li their lives and feel like they're that their lives are becoming more exciting uh that's kind of how i feel about that aspect of it uh what about you marty yeah i mean it like the genre subgenre of characters as a whole basically just a yeah the writer's tool to progress the the male lead uh when we you know when we talk about ramona and why she doesn't necessarily fall into that bucket is she does have her own shit that she's going through you know she's yep. got like right away like one of the first things we learn about her was like yeah you know shit wasn't going right here so just kind of trying to restart it in toronto and you know the the all, all the times that scott's like oh my god something changed and she's like yeah that'll happen like yeah. i'm a person like, like her hair color that. for instance absolutely yep. yeah, yeah yeah whoa mm -hmm. your, your hair changed and when he calls her fickle, that. you you know, that's that whole thing. So it's just that Scott Scott sees her one way, but she's really not the person who Scott was. I mean, at least at the very beginning, I don't think mm -hmm. she was not the person Scott thought she was going to be. He thought he didn't realize how spontaneous she was. You know, I'm throwing that in kind of air quotes there. But um, 
and well, that really throws him off. And, you know, it's just, uh, I don't know. I just don't think that the way that she's portrayed, she's only portrayed, I think, as a manic pixie dream girl on the surface. Mm-hmm. But inside, she is far from that. She is yeah. her. Yeah, she is. She does not. If fall you just look at the cover. Yep. Then it's understandable why you might assume manic yeah. pixie dream girl but under underneath it all it's yeah there's a lot more depth to that character uh you know even even like little things about like the experimentation of her sexuality yeah you sure. know like that's that's depth that they're not gonna give to a lot of the real manic pixie dream girls right and mm-hmm. kind of tangentially related to that subject what an amazing example of consent from their first date yes Absolutely. Uh, like I obviously as as a man watching it the first time, I did not notice that. And yes, my wife pointed it out to me. And yes, I pointed it out to my daughter. I'm like, this is what consent looks like. Mm-hmm. Can you tell you me know? what part what can you tell me what so, part you're talking about? So when they're like out in the cold after their first date, and then she's like, Oh, yeah. well, my door is right here. And yeah. you know, he they accidentally walks out. in. Yeah. And the, yeah, they're they're in bed, they start making out, and yeah. like this is nice. And she's like, you know what? I changed my mind. And he's like, what do you mean? She's like, changed yeah. it from what to what? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, she's okay. like, yeah. I don't, I don't think I want to have sex tonight. She's like, don't worry. I'm not going to throw you out in the cold, but yeah. you know, you can, you can stay here. Also, I reserve the right to change my mind. Mm-hmm. And yeah, exactly. Specifically that line. I reserve yep. the yeah. right to change okay, my mind. Sure. As, as a, as a person who's raising daughters, like, oh my God, tattoo that shit. Like, <laughs> in your vocabulary absolutely <laughs> absolutely right my mind because yeah. absolutely again not something i noticed as you know what this came out in 2010 so mm-hmm. you know, i was 30 already um ish i don't know i can't do math it's the weekend fuck that uh so financial specialist over here <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about it I don't, I, don't, I don't have to do math on the weekend that's the rule um, <laughs> but you know the the fact that like when I encountered that movie as like a grown ass adult man who has three sisters, older sisters that did not even register in my mind. Mm-hmm. All and, right. Yeah. That's a good point. And the, yeah, not to toot my own horn, but the growth that I've done as a person, uh, <laughs> but mm-hmm. sorry, I don't mean uh, to laugh. But... <laughs> <laughs> no, you do mean to laugh Jen, a because you bit, knew yeah. me at that point And you knew I was that idiot who would just be like, Oh, brr, let the penis lead you into the room. Oh my God. You know? What kind of, I mean, you knew me back then too. The exactly. type of idiot I was and the growth that <laughs> I've had since then. <laughs> so, you know, when, when you start to recognize that stuff and you're like, Hey, like, I'm pretty sure that was intentional because every other fucking word in this movie was very, very intentional. Yep. And, you know, to really, to call that out on how it's acceptable to do as the female and the appropriate response as a male, it's like, that's one of Scott's first big pieces of growth Yep. is Mm -hmm. he's like, Oh, okay. Well, still that was nice. We should do this again. As yeah. a woman, to see that reaction from Scott is kind of that nice breath of fresh air. Because a lot of times in in shows and movies, there'll, there'll be a moment similar to that, but then there's a sigh from the man. Of, mm-hmm. and yeah. while, or the and eye while, roll. Yeah. And while, you know, they somewhat accept it, you know, and they, they don't push or anything, that initial reaction is annoying <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's bullshit so it was rewatching it that was that scene definitely stood out as 
oh, he's totally cool with this. He's not going to be like, like, I'm waiting for the sigh. I'm waiting yeah. for the eye roll. It never happened. And I was like, you know what? Mm-hmm. Good on you, Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> and, the, and the fact that Scott even said to her, you know, uh, you know, without saying, you know, uh, you know, you know, that's okay. Just the fact that he was like, you know, just us laying here with each other and just this like this cuddle moment. He's mm-hmm. like, I've needed this. This is something mm-hmm. that I've needed. Like expressing her, you know what? I needed this more than I've needed sex. And, yeah. you know, I feel like intimacy Ramon... isn't just penetration. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and I think Ramona really appreciated that because just she gave him that small kiss after the after that, after he said, thank you. She said, you're welcome. It was just such a really unique and very loving bond between these two characters and it was just it, it it was i don't know it just felt nice to see that you know you don't always you don't always have to see two people fucking and know that they are that they have affection for right. each other sometimes a lot of times they don't you know but yeah i just really really enjoyed that interaction between them it was a it's just it's a really nice breath of fresh air especially since you know we're introduced to scott and he is an asshole and he is a douchebag and to see like marty said this moment of like growth like tangible Mm -hmm. obvious growth it was oh it it was just it was nice (laughs) it was very nice (laughs) well we're gonna gush about that moment forever it's so it is it is cute you know and for 2010 you know to have it in there and way ahead of its time way ahead of its time and then to Mm rewatch it in 2023 and have that be one of the standout scenes for me it's uh, it's kind of unbelievable in in a way yeah but it's so i yeah that's definitely something that has aged quite well nice it's kind of the counterbalance to you know the stuff we were talking about before that makes it a little like Ugh. right but you know it's like okay there's some good to it too absolutely yeah. i want to just circle back a little bit to uh uh the talking point of the women in Scott's life. So we know yeah. Ramona, she, Ramona, she's, you know, she's right at there at the top of uh, the women is life. But we also have to look at the other females that are just there with him. And they, and the women is life just played the strongest role. The women in this movie, I think played just as strong of a role as Scott or any of the seven deadly exes. We got knives. We got Kim. We've got Stacy. We've got Julie, who I fucking love. Yes. Wish my mouth bleeped out right there when yeah. I said that. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, we have Envy. And each one of these women play a different yet unique role in Scott's life. And you know, the way I see this, so we got we got Ramona, who's the love interest. Knives, the rebound. Kim, the friend, but also ex girlfriend. We got Envy, the ex. That broke his heart. Stacy, Scott's sister, played by the amazing Anna Kendrick. Oh, I love her. It's off to horny jail for me with Anna Kendrick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not afraid to say it. <laughs> and then we have Julie, Scott's friend who actually hates him. So at least it seems like it. But it does seem like the women in Scott's life really portray different roles for him and help him grow as a character. And yes, knives, there's a lot of difficulty there because she is a minor and there is that portrayal of the uh, uh, the fetish for Asian schoolgirls and things like that. But if we remove those aspects, as hard as that might be in it for some people, but if we can remove them, knives had a very profound effect on Scott and she helped him realize 
and helped him grow to realize how he basically did her wrong Mm -hmm. and how he needs to treat people. And, you know, it's later on in the film when Scott er earns the power of self-respect, you know, Mm -hmm. um, he realizes that knives did not deserve what Scott did. He basically, he, he, she was a rebound. He used her, but at the same time, she's 17, you know, she's never had a boyfriend. She's never kissed a guy before. She is just heads over heels for this, for this man. And in reality, he doesn't really seem like he gives a shit about her. You know, he's just using her to get over envy and, that's a really crappy thing to do to someone, especially when it's a person who has no real idea of what love actually is, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, who here? I mean, love it has all sorts of definitions, but it's, you feel bad for knives when you're watching her, watching it, watching this movie and just seeing how the breakup, how she takes the breakup and how actually she blames Ramona for the breakup without even realizing this is all Scott, you know, mm-hmm. you know, calling her a fat ass and stuff like that, dyeing her hair blue so she could try to get Scott's attention, going out with young Neil to make Scott jealous, you know, it's just interesting to see how this young lady was affected by the actions of just this, 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 this dick, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I tried to think of a cle- more clever way to say it, but Scott's a dick at this point in the movie. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you've got Kim, you know, Kim, who is just, you know, the drummer. She is Scott's friend, one of his closest friends. But at the same time, you can tell that Kim has a grudge with Scott. She knows Scott. She probably knows Scott better than anybody else. Yep. Okay. And Kim makes all sorts of references throughout the film by saying, are you really doing this? Why are you doing this? Are you sure? Are you happy? Like she's questioning his motives throughout the entire film. Like she does it in a way where it's like, first off, I know you and I know where this is going to end. But at the same time, she's also doing it as a friend. She's just more stern about it, you know? So I just feel like Kim is, and when he even apologizes to Kim at the end for just everything he did, of course, when Scott, you know, learns the power of self-respect. And I know, you know what, I've, I noticed this a while back, but I didn't notice it maybe like the first few times I saw the movie. But when Scott apologizes to her and she gives that smile to him, it's a very mm-hmm. just quick shot of her smiling after the apology. Mm-hmm. Yep, It's her realizing that Scott is owning up to his mistakes yep. and, and like she sincerely lo- owning up to it. Yes. Yeah. And she loves that. She has seen one of her best friends grow right in front of her eyes. And she always thought Scott was going to be this child. And I always love the fact that at the beginning, she's like, what are you Scott? Like 28, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> <laughs> I always thought that was just super funny, but yeah, I just think that Kim, Kim is a very good influence on Scott because she's always, she's hard on him, but she has to be. She's never given up on him, but it, because she, I think she always knew there was something there that was good. It's just that it was she. She needed Scott to realize it himself. Yeah, uh, she just didn't get to experience the good parts, but she knew it was in there. Right. They make and, better friends than they do a couple. That is yeah. for sure. Yep. Absolutely. And then you got to imagine being in a band together and having to see each other, you know, likely daily and practice and everything that didn't really give Kim a chance to kind of get over and separate from whatever pain yeah. Scott caused her. 
So she's had to kind of deal with it and she masks it with her uh, snarky comments and giving mm-hmm. Scott a ton of shit. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He apologizes to her because you do feel that that is a sincere apology, even though we don't know what transpired between the two of them. But mm-hmm. the fact that he does apologize and she, that look of, you get it. And now I've got it. And now we can both move on was a really nice moment. Um, yeah. For Kim. I mean, yeah, it's and, great for Scott too, but I thought that was a really, I, Kim needed that. So also focusing on Tim or Tim. Geez. <laughs> Don't do Allison pill like that. <laughs> Tell your husband. I said, hi, Jen. Yeah. <laughs> um, another thing about Kim, and this isn't in the movie. This is in the comic books. Actually, I've never read the Scott Pilgrim comics, so I don't know a lot about this. So I had to look. So I actually looked this up when I was researching some things about the film. But with the Katayanagi twins, I, I don't know. I hope I pronounce that right. Um there's a, a part in the book where they actually kidnap Kim. Yes. And I, I, yep. you, you know what I'm talking about. And they use Kim to um, set up Scott to come and rescue her, but in, in, a, in, a, in an act to try to make Ramona jealous. Um, or it, It's something like that. Mm-hmm. And Kim cleverly uh, basically outwits the twins by you know, pretending that she's texting with Ramona or something like that. And Ramona's like cheering Scott on or something like something along those lines just to get out of that situation. And I, I, that may not be verbatim as far as what actually happened. Um, I only briefly read about it, but it was still a cool, awesome moment to learn that not only is Kim's not just the ex of Scott Pilgrim, Kim is extremely independent and thinks very fast and well on her feet. And I am more interested now in learning more about her character because I think that's really, really, really cool. I'll try to make these next three really fast. Uh, then we have Envy, we have Envy, aka Natalie, and she's the ex that broke Scott's heart. Um, Brie Larson played this role beautifully for as brief as it was. Um, she was a very necessary role to have to show the impact that her relationship with Scott, as far as the impact that it had on him personally. And how it was going to impact his future relationships. Um, I felt like he tried to hold people up to Kim's, or not Kim's, I'm sorry, uh, to Envy's standards before she became, or I should say maybe up to Natalie's standards before she became Envy. Okay. Um, And then over time, you know, he realized that not every woman that I'm going to be involved with is going to be like Natalie. They're not going to all do the same thing to me like what she did. And it took up until that battle with uh, with three to really realize that, I think. And the fact that Envy was jealous of Ramona, you know, and um, it showed that I think maybe she still had a small thing for Scott, you know, especially when he refers to her as Natalie at the end. You know, it may have been subtle, but I think that in a way she missed being with him and having that life because now she's this superstar who has all this pressure on her and her life is nothing like it used to be. And you could tell in that moment when he called her Natalie that she missed her old life. It was just subtle. And that's just the, that's just the feeling I got when I saw her facial expression. Um, And then you have a sister, Stacy, which unfortunately I wish she was very underutilized in this film, but I love Anna Kendrick. Um, she's one of my favorite actresses. She's so good in anything she does. She's ridiculously funny. And 
I just love how her and Wallace just somehow have this magic way of texting each other within <laughs> mm-hmm. like a millisecond of finding out some new information. You know, especially I, with the old flip phones, like no yeah. one texts that fast. Right, right. Um, but like, I love that she still acted like you know this a a good a good big sister. You know, um, but she's you know, younger. She was, no, she is her older sister. She's the older sister, isn't she? She's eighteen. I thought she was older than Scott. On her little like re- on her little card that pops up when we're first introduced, it says eighteen rated T for teens. Why did I think that she was older? Because at the end they do say something he does say something. There's a conversation like between yeah, yeah, like kid brother like, or something like that. Yes. Or... But I think it's because the way I interpreted that moment, given that uh-huh. we were given their ages. Yeah. Is that she's obviously the smarter one, <laughs> the one that's got like the better head on her shoulders, mm-hmm. and clearly the one at least in this last year or so he has gone to her uh, yeah. while he's been dealing with his broken heart and and depression. So she's kind of had to take on that big sibling role. So sure, okay, that's so how I took sh- it, and that's actually a good point. And uh, you know what? It, it sounds like you're you're absolutely right about that. Okay, well, being that that's his kid sister she still acts as if she is the older sister she's matured more she and, and quicker than scott she is she works what like like five jobs something like that her and julie like work every job in toronto and but that you know she's given him shit throughout the whole movie especially about dating knives but who could blame her for that um but it's just the idea that during the swing set scene it showed true compassion for her brother and she really was feeling for him because she knew he was in a spiral and she wanted to help but she can only help in the way that a pilgrim child really could i think (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) i don't know uh but then lastly there's julie julie again is scott's friend who i think secretly hates him uh because she's constantly giving him shit and although I don't think Julie had a real big impact on Scott's life in the movie, I do like the fact that there's that one character who is willing to yell at Scott and just verbally assault him to try to get him to fucking wake up and see what the fuck are you doing, dude? Don't talk to Ramona fucking flowers. What the fuck did I tell you? Bleep, 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 you know? <laughs> so again, the these six women in different ways affect Scott Pilgrim. From how he is at the beginning of the movie to where he ends up um, when we meet the climax. And um, I feel like without the strong female presence in this movie, then it would have been Scott Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim versus, versus a fucking, I don't know, sad-ass young 20-year-old who doesn't know how to handle life. I don't fucking know. I, I, I don't, I don't know. Scott versus his own bullshit. I'm sorry. Yeah, people. I'm, exactly. not go- I'm, not, I'm not good at cl- coming up with clever titles on the fly. <laughs> so the Julie, uh, you know, I feel like played by the amazing Aubrey Plaza, who I will follow like a puppy straight to horny jail. Uh, uh, she, I feel, could have just given that as her audition tape for parks and rec (laughs) for for april ludgate i'm like there's there's a lot of april ludgate in uh in julie (laughs) just like constantly calling him on his bullshit i think i think though the role that that julie kind of plays just to put it into a bit of a different metaphor is like 
the guardrail to keep him from like truly yes. going off the road. I agree. Because like as as he approaches those like risky decisions, she's like, "Wake up, you're mm-hmm. being an idiot," mm-hmm. and she just does it very you know vulgarly and coarsely, and mm-hmm. it's it's a great juxtaposition that sets that character you know aside from the rest of them as you know just another you know woman that's trying to look out for for scott but he's like no she's gonna do it with a frying pan exactly (laughs) (laughs) see and that's kind of how i took the julie character too i didn't think of her as scott's friend that doesn't like i didn't i didn't share your take eric on on the character i took it as i think more along the lines of marty is like this is the friend that is not afraid to tell you that you are being fucking stupid and that she is she has a lot of concern for scott because in this last year she has seen him be just a pile or you know whatever and seen him make bad choices and stuff like that and you get this feeling that they've known each other for a long time maybe since childhood so maybe that's why julie gets away with being that much more brash and harsh so you think that's why she's so comfortable talking to him the way that she does absolutely yeah absolutely it's almost like kim kim is like that first level of like hey you're being stupid like i'm trying to say it nice Mm -hmm. and then julie is like that on crack yeah i don't have to be nice to you to tell you you're being stupid yeah Yeah, right okay okay because i feel like with kim if she comes across too strong it's gonna get you know whatever with mixed with like oh maybe she still has feelings for him maybe it's a jealousy thing and scott writes it oh, off because sure. she's an ex exactly whereas mm. then with julie you i got the impression that julie maybe it's just because like yeah julie and um scott's sister they work a shitload of jobs but for some reason i i saw julie as more as the sister's sister friend than scott's friend and maybe that's whatever but there there just seems like a closeness between the three of them where she sure. is like a family friend and she can talk to Scott like a sister. And if, yep. and I can't remember how old Julie was, if she was closer to Scott's age where she's like, you're a fucking moron. <laughs> mm, but right. I think it all comes out of looking out for him. And maybe she's in a way kind of getting tired of picking up the pieces or seeing him repeat mistakes. So she's like, you need to clean your shit up. You need to get it together. Or having to listen to it through her sister. Exactly. I just have one. So I I just want to express one thing about that. So I get what you guys are saying. um, And I, and I, and I'm not disagreeing, but there's a moment in the movie where I am going to revert back to how I feel about it. And it's actually after, uh, um, after the, uh, 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 after the, the secret show um, when they're all backstage so Julie's sitting sitting over with the band, and you know she's trying to suck up to Envy the whole I time. Your blog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you know Julie, at the end of the battle, you know when Scott and everybody leaves, you know Julie walks up behind Envy and says, "You know I'm so pit- I'm like I'm so angry for you right now," or something like that. It's like this is why I don't think Julie is that close to Scott. Is because I feel like she she get she's I feel like she's more of a bully to Scott and Scott just puts up with it because she doesn't have compassion for what just happened to Scott knowing that Scott in that particular case there was the one being attacked he was the victim in in that instance you know but she cited it seemed like she was siding with envy and that's why I revert back to thinking that. 
I think she's more toxic in Scott's life than anything, but Scott doesn't really know what to do about that. She's just there to him. Um, and he writes off a lot of the things I think he says, but also at the same time, he, you could tell he does take some of it personally. And I, I don't know. I, I, see, I see the tropes of a bully in her personally, but that's, again, that is just my own opinion. Um, Almost like she took Envy's side at, during the breakup. Yeah. Yes. Kind of. Yes. See, and I took yes. that I took that moment Eric, you know, with with Julian Envy as like just a fangirl moment. Like she's got stars in her eyes and she's like, "Oh my god, this person that I knew before is now like all famous and everything. Maybe a small crushing on her." But the the moment for me that I took as her being so- someone that's just kind of done with Scott's bullshit is at the at the beginning, like at the party or whatever. And he's kind of trying to ask around about Ramona. And then his bandmate comes up and he's like, Oh yeah, they just broke up. And she's like, I wasn't going to fucking tell him that because Mm -hmm. I took that as I wasn't going to let Scott know that she's single and available because he's going to do something dumb and he's going to get hurt again. Now that was, no, those words won't weren't all spoken, but that was my interpretation was that she, she is looking out. Yes. Maybe as in a, in a bullying way, but since I'm taking it as like almost a family kind of scenario between the three of the, the two pilgrim kids and, and mm-hmm. Julie, mm-hmm. whether it's, oh, you know, whether it's toxic or not or appropriate or okay or not, siblings can be very mean and bullying, bully towards each other. Yeah. But I think it can also, and I get, I'm not excusing the behavior, but it can come from a place of love and concern where- That's- you are just so sick of seeing them do the same stupid shit over and over again. There's right. no more sugarcoating. There's no more fucking being nice about it. It's like you are being a grade A fucking moron. And if you don't stop, you're going to continue your life as a grade A fucking moron. My interpretation. And that's all right. That yeah. that's I think that's a good interpretation. This is why we have these conversations. That's right. You know, exactly. Oh. All right. And and with Anna Kendrick as uh, Stacy. The, the sister, mm-hmm. one of the bleeps blurbs that I saw on IMDb was that Anna Kendrick uh, wears the actual name badge of the real life Stacy on whom the comic creator Brian Lee O'Malley based the character. Yep. In one of the DVD commentaries, Kendrick specifically asks that someone add this trivia to IMDb. Oh, <laughs> <Aww>. so- <laughs> I thought I just I love that because I do love Anna Kendrick. I I think she is almost like a real life manic pixie dream girl. She's so quirky and fun, and uh, <laughs> I want to be magically better for her. Puts, she puts her foot in her mouth at every opportunity, but she's so, so relatable and funny yeah. that like she just gets away with it. Exactly. There's a there's another little trivia piece uh, having to do with three. So you know we all know him as Superman, uh, but when when he's on Adam. stage, yeah, or the Adam. Um, when he's on stage playing uh, the secret show and, you know, it's all dark. Oh yeah. You know, and it's mm-hmm. like the, the lights come on in yeah. the light flashes. You can see the shirt he's wearing. He's wearing a Punisher t-shirt. Oh, what? fast forward. Yep. Fast forward to when he gets, when he loses his vegan powers. Who shows up the Punisher. Thomas oh J. my god i love okay yep so yep. i got i, I, Bro, I caught, oh I my caught god. that part but not the t-shirt bit i love that thomas yeah. jane oh. was a fair was a more than fine punisher his movie yeah. could have been better but 
I I enjoyed him as the Punisher. So when he popped up in this as the Wait, was he, police, was, he, I was, was so he the cop? Giddy. He was the cop that said, it's milk and eggs, bitch. Was yes. that yeah, him? The vegan yes. Oh, yep. that is yeah. so hilarious. I can't believe I didn't catch yeah. that. You were oh, yeah, a vegan and now your powers will be gone. Be gone. <laughs> <laughs> be gone. Yeah. Oh. Another, oh, so another fun little superhero Easter egg. We actually have a Barbara Gordon in this movie. Oh. Where? Roxy. She does hey, the voice. So Roxy is number four. Yep. Uh, she does the voice for Barbara Gordon in DC Superhero Girls on Netflix. Really? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. My girls are obsessed with that show. And I'm I like, love why that do show. I know that name? May Whitman, and then her? I'm like, I, I Googled it. I'm like, oh, that's why I know that name. Yeah. Wow. Just <laughs> She's a little she's by furious. I love May Whitman. Ever since she was like a wee thing and like yeah. could cry on a dime and I just would make me fucking cry and then just kind of watching her career and then seeing her in this was so much fun. Mm-hmm. I I loved it. And I forgot that she has done a lot of voiceover. voiceover. Like yeah. a lot. She is um, Katara in... Avatar. Yes. Thank you. Yep. Yep. Airbender, not the yeah. blue people one. No, not the cat people. No. Uh, speaking of voiceover, do we all know who the uh, who the narrator is? I, I hope it's Alan Tudyk, but I don't think it is. <laughs> it's not Alan Tudyk, but it's an awesome actor. It's Bill Hader. That's right. Get out, really? Yeah, it's Bill Hader. Man. Yep. Yeah. This, I mean, wow. this cast is loaded, and there's uncredited roles, and I like Thomas Jane is uncredited, but it's like. You see yep. him and you're like, that's motherfucking. Well, and Jane. so the the writers of the comic books are in the party scene where he first sees Ramona as well. Oh, oh nice. nice. I love that. God, yeah, that's cool. See? All those things and are fun. Yeah. And do you remember? Do you remember when at the second the second round at, at, at Gideon's Club when when uh, uh, Scott walks in and there's the guy there, the the kind of taller, little huskier dude with the glasses. If you hear, listen to what he's saying as soon as Scott walks in, he says, "Yeah, you should read the comics. The comics are yes. much better than the movie." Yeah, yeah. I heard, I <laughs> yep. that one. Yep. So yeah, I really he, love that. He plays that character in like every show that he's in too. He's like the like the kind of nerdy ish hipstery kind of guy. Yeah. He's a yeah. comedian. I can't remember his name, though, but I like him as an actor. Nice, nice. Yeah. Well, cool. Excellent. All right. Well, let me double check. I think I am about out of talking points. Yeah. Because I'll throw out I'll throw out one last thing here. And sure. I think it's a kind of a good segue to the end, if you will. Uh, so like we obviously we all love this movie. It very clearly shows. Uh this was one of the movies that was a home run in the focus groups, but then just died in the theaters. Mm-hmm. Like yep. the focus groups, it it got some of the best ratings that they had ever gotten. And, and I heard this through Kevin Smith, uh, not like we're good personal friends or anything, but like <laughs> I was listening to one of his 400 million podcasts And he was talking about how like he as a filmmaker has really, really struggled because he can get a group of his own people to show up for a focus group. And he's like, I could, you know, green light smearing shit across the floor. If it's according to a focus group, he's like, but that all changed because of Scott Pilgrim, because the focus groups were such a home run. He's like, but they, they showed it at like comic cons. Mm-hmm. and video game festivals so of course 
Like you're taking it right to the people, like right to your target audience, which he's like, let's be honest, that's what you should do. Mm-hmm. But he goes, there was a bunch of unrealistic expectations and they spent way more than they they had planned to on marketing because the focus groups had done so well. And that's why it really, really, you know, it's, it's one of the worst fiscal flops that's out there uh, because they put so much into the marketing because the focus groups were so good. And so like, it's kind of a turning point in film history where like, they're like, yeah, like we'll show it to focus groups, but like, we don't wait that nearly the way we used to. So I was like, Interesting. I want to piggyback off that because one of my talking points is actually Scott Pilgrim versus unfortunate timing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> First of all, I love that you've titled your talking points as Scott Pilgrim versus Eric Smith mm-hmm. talking point. <laughs> <I love that. laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I, I thought it was, I thought it was fitting for this movie. So Scott Pilgrim released on August 10th of 2010. And despite a lot of the things that didn't age well, this movie was still well ahead of its time. So if we look back at some very fun movies that were ahead of its time, when they came out, they didn't do well. And another prime example I could think of was, I think it was 1994 when Last Action Hero came out. Um, If you (laughs) watch that that movie, movie. (laughs) watch that movie now, it's fantastic. If that was released in, you know, today, it would do fantastic. You know, same thing with Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I believe if Scott Pilgrim would have been released um, and adjusted some of its, um, you know, some of its language and uh, uh, things like that. Um, if it was released in 2016 or any time after, when you know, like I said earlier, the age of Twitch really started to take off, this movie would have made millions upon millions upon millions it would have been number probably number one at the box office it would have been right up there with ready player one because ready player one took number one at the box office for like a week or two i think this movie would have done fantastic had it been released years later uh it had an 85 million dollar budget and uh global domestic was 49 million two hundred eighty six thousand five hundred forty eight dollars it lost a lot of money yep and that's um and that's and that I mean that's a risk you take when you're making movies, but still, thinking about how this movie could have done better if it had just been released almost a decade later, you know, Edgar Wright could have probably would have we would have seen a sequel already. I'll put it that way. Yeah, we probably yeah. would have seen a sequel. Absolutely. Hell, we'd probably be talking about the third movie at this point if it did that well. <laughs> um, and which you know then brings up the point. There's been you know there's been rumors for years about the potential for a Scott Pilgrim sequel Um, because now the, now the movie studios and audiences have come to this movie and now really appreciate it. Yeah. It flopped when it came out, but does that mean it would flop again? I don't think so. I think if Scott Pilgrim got a sequel, it would do fantastic. It may not hold it. It may not, you know, make avatar style money, but you know, it could definitely, it, it, it could definitely hold a number one spot in the box office for maybe two to three weeks. Um, so I would love to see a sequel to this movie because again, when it first came out, it was too far ahead of its time. Well, it no. wasn't too far ahead of its time, but it was just far enough ahead where people couldn't appreciate what was being, get what was it, being shown to them. It felt more niche, you know, than it would. Yes. Now. Whereas yeah. now it definitely feels more like, I guess, quote, 
mainstream accessible like sure. you know like because of the like rise of the nerds exactly exactly yep. yeah exactly said, yeah twitch coming you know and and streaming gaming and all of that stuff yeah um yeah i agree absolutely so a couple other movies to throw in that same kind of category where they they didn't make the money they should have but are now deemed as either cult classics or in some cases like imdb top 100 mm-hmm. sure. uh, fight club Mm-hmm. Fight yep. Club did not make money in the box Dazed office. Dazed and confused. Nothing. Yeah. Mm. Uh, uh, office space. Classes. Yeah. Big Lebowski. Yep. Yeah, sure. They didn't, they didn't make money, you know, when they were in theaters, but, you know, all the stoners gather in the room together. They're like, come on, come on. We got to watch the dude. We got to watch the mm-hmm. dude. Yeah, and right, right, right. Like Lebowski Con. You know, they. Oh, yeah. They, every year they meet at like whatever like the bowling alley they watch the movie they, they have their they own they actually like, ho- there's Lebowski. a Lebowski count that happens yeah. in Milwaukee every year too so <laughs> nice. I, but no, you're absolutely just a right bunch of dudes in their bathrobes that's not and a... it, <laughs> that's, that's every drinking. guy after yeah. good <laughs> Just Milwaukee, all right? No. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. But there's something to say, though. There is something to say that's kind of special at the same time about these cult-style films, isn't there? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it sucks they didn't get the recognition that they deserved. And it sucks that we're likely not going to see these sequels that they do deserve. But at the same time, they feel more special. Exactly. You know? It's like they're... It's like because they're know not that... for everyone. Exactly. And you feel like you're part of a smaller community of moviegoers that can appreciate this film better than, I don't know, someone who just put their money to go see fucking Avatar. But it's just that it's cool to be part of that. But at the same time, it's sad that you're not going to see it grow beyond what it deserves. But you can appreciate what you were given when when it was given to us and just kind of take it for what it is. But I'd have yeah. to say there's something kind of special about not getting the sequels and only loving just what we're given and appreciating You're right. that because and then holding you kind of, it so dearly. Exactly. Because then You're you right. run into that problem of, oh, they're just recycling jokes or references or this is sure, just a repeat sure. of that. They're just regurg, you know, so you do kind of run in. That is like a, a concern. Fine so, example of that, Jen, actually fine, fine example is uh, coming to America, too, which <laughs> Was which is the whole movie is a recycled joke from the first one, and it's just it's unwatchable. You know, it's, it's purely a cash grab. Honestly, I felt exactly. that way about uh, the second Austin Powers movie, like way sure. back when that came out. I mean, I wasn't yeah. expecting. <laughs> I, I mean, Oscar I didn't have high expectations <laughs> right. to begin with, but I'm like, we're you're literally just recycling the same. It's lines, literally the same movie, the same yeah. fucking movie. So I think there's something to be said about just maintaining what just maintaining that that love and not trying to milk it for all it's worth. You know, there's because then it feels like you get too more too much into that corporate greed. And it's like now you're making something to make money and not because you love video games or you're making something for this niche group of nerdy, geeky fans. So that's where I stand with Firefly now. Exactly. I don't it's want like, them. It's like nope, just way too much just time leave has it. passed. Yep. That's fine. Yep. Like it's wonderful. Enjoy it. Watch it. And, you know, wax poetically about mm. it. Long for more of it. Watch Serenity, cry a lot. And then <laughs> Rinse and repeat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And put so, the DVD back in. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so I feel like I I get what you're saying and but when it comes to this movie specifically, 
I, I don't know that I would want a sequel. I guess it would kind of depend on which direction they're going to go. New characters, same characters. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, this is, at its heart, a coming-of-age story. You sure. can't really do that. I mean, I suppose what? you could. You know what? That might be interesting to see someone come of age within their 40s and 50s, right? To show that yeah. it's never too late to grow and change. Or but what at if the it's same Scott's time, kids? Yeah, but what that's the Scott other thing. Ramona's kids and we it's could go the same wacky world, yeah. Yeah, sure, sure. Or just It'd be interesting to see how a sequel could work out, though. Yeah, yeah, right, right. But I think it. Well, can be at the very least, at the very least, if you know, at least there's the comic books, and the comic books have expanded. Yeah. Even though I've never read them, I know that they well expanded beyond this universe or in, into this universe. So, it, if you, I guess, if we want to know what happens, we could read there. the damn books. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I guess in the books, the events take place over a year. Whereas in the movie, it's a few months when you go by Ramona's hair color change because she changes her hair. Yeah, yeah. Every every other she said every other week and a half. Yeah. Yep. So it would be. I'm now. I kind of want to go and and read the comics because I haven't. Marty, have you read the comics? No, I have not. Oh, my. Have my either of you ever played the nerds. video game? No. No, I almost bought it on Steam Summer Sale, but yeah. I, didn't. I played the, I played the demo of it. It's hard. It's is a it? hard game. Yeah, it's a play. It's a, it's like more kind of a traditional like beat 'em up, but mixed with a platformer. So, but combining those two styles can be very difficult to work with. But I, I mean, I play it. I just got. I've only played the demo. Okay. I was curious <laughs> after after watching the movie and everything, and I'm like, huh. So I don't know. We'll see. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and start in on our Midwest goodbye. And this is where we're going to try and start wrapping it up for the next 40 minutes. <laughs> um, but we're going to start with Stray Bubbles. So this is the last chance for us to kind of bring up any notes, fun facts, um, all that kind of good stuff. So, sure. Marty, do you have anything that you need to share in a Stray Bubble? I think I have shown all my Easter eggs. Uh, I think the Punisher one was the last one that I, it was the last one on my notes. So. Nice. That's a good one. <laughs> Very nice. All right. Eric, what have you got? Because I'm sure you probably well, have one or two. I actually do. So, um, <laughs> but one thing that we didn't talk about that I think is important in that I think gets glo- bland, bland, uh, glossed over. <laughs> in- um toxic relationships so i have my last talking point was scott pilgrim scott pilgrim versus overcoming toxic relationships and i know this is kind of, this could be a kind of a hard hitting subject for a lot of people but we have to really take a look at some things that this movie is really portraying um and and especially with ramona you know we learned throughout the film that, you know, Scott suffered a bad breakup from Envy and he can't really get over her. And to try to help him with that, he hooks up with Knives, a 17 year old high school girl who seems kind of sheltered. You know, Scott then meets Ramona, um, a girl who he literally dreams up and poof, you know, there she is. You know, Scott sees this then as a sign that he's meant to be with her. Scott then basically spends the rest of the film battling Ramona's seven deadly exes, uh, a test for which Scott must overcome in order to be worthy of her. Okay. But throughout this, he grows and develops as a person and is willing to let and is willing to let her go. But in the end, Scott still wins the girl. Okay. So in the end, everything works out hunky dory for Scott. Good for him. But one thing that 
things we don't know that are going to work out hunky-dory for is Ramona. Because Ramona is coming off of a lot of trauma. You know, and much like Ramona Scott, or Scott, Ramona starts off her relationship with Scott is more of a rebound from Gideon, you know? And although this is this is expressed very subtly, certain language Ramona uses throughout the movie throughout the movie gives clear signs that he's a rebound. You're the nicest guy I've ever dated. You're what I need right now. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Things like that. These are signs that Ramona has dealt with some shitty relationships and trauma and doesn't want that. But Scott being Scott, he wants something more because he really likes this girl. And if we look at basically Ramona's history with the seven X's, you know, she basically throughout time, it seems jumps from one X to another. And she has different experiences though, with each one of them. However, she's always been the dumper and never the dumpy. So she tries not to leave herself too vulnerable. Um, but then Gideon comes into her life and Gideon just basically, you know, he he's able to control her, you know, and the way the movie portrays it is that, you know, Gideon has this chip that's been embedded in the back of her neck, you know, that's literally controlling her. And I think this is basically a way of just kind of talking about toxic males in relationship and the control that they feel like they ha- they can have and that they deserve to have over the over the women in their life mm-hmm. and she is you know she says she can't control herself herself around them and stuff like that but in the end you know she 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 really does learn to overcome that um, the battle with Gideon in the battle with Gideon, Ramona decides that she needs to move on uh, or after the battle, she decides she needs to move on despite breaking away from Gideon. But with her allowing, uh, however, with her uh, allowing Scott to uh, allowing Scott to basically uh, uh, to leave with her at the end, it's as if she is moving forward potentially with her life. But at the same time, like I mentioned before, she's leaving herself super vulnerable because Scott's getting what he wants. But Ramona is testing to see if this is what's right for her. Mm -hmm. She's putting her trust in a man that could become another deadly ex, you know? Yeah. She does. So it's just, it, 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 even though this wasn't like the primary, I think intent, I think for us to get, to gauge from this, this is something that I kind of took away from it is that people out there go through toxic relationships and don't do anything and are too scared to do anything about it. I should say not don't do anything, but they're just too scared. You know, what is this other person going to do? If I do this, if I try to leave, I call the cops or if I, whatever. So I thought it was really brave of Ramona at the end of this movie to say, I'm going to trust you. You know, yes, he's been fighting for her this whole time, but that's because so that's so he could get what he wants. I think now this is going to be Ramona finally opening her up herself up to being ready to for to accept Scott in a serious way in her life now. And I thought that was beautiful in the end that she was able to do that for herself 
And at the same time, knowing that she's going to now be leaving herself vulnerable to being hurt again, Mm -hmm. because that's just her experiences. So, and and uh, I see what you're saying. And while I agree to an extent, uh, at least with like the Ramona bit at the end, you know, you said that's so brave of her to jump back into a relationship that pissed me off. Oh, because because, as you said, she's gone through a lot of trauma because, as you said, she's gone through her own bullshit. She needs to figure it out for she needs to figure herself out instead of jumping into another relationship and bringing essentially baggage. Right. Because that's what the seven X's are. That was the baggage that Mm -hmm. Scott literally and figuratively had to fight through as long as well as his own bullshit. So. Mm -hmm. To say that she's going to try, and I, I get what you're saying, and I can appreciate that, but from my perspective, I hated it. I don't like oh. that. I didn't like that at all. There's mm. apparently an alternate ending that was filmed in which Ramona left to explore what she was like without a boyfriend, and Scott and Knives ended up back together. Now, I don't like that oh, wow. little bit, but oh. I I like this idea. I like that idea that Ramona... Because Ramona isn't your cookie cutter manic pixie dream girl she is right. uh, she's she's a bit more so to see that this is the route her character goes shows obviously that this movie is about scott and not ramona which is fine because you know it's in the title but it still would have been refreshing to see her being like you know what let's just be friends let's just hang sure. out as friends like they could still walk off together but with that clear understanding that I do not want to pursue a romantic relationship at this time. I reserve the right to change my mind, you know, put sure. it back around. Um, right, right. But I mean, I, I see what you're saying and I agree with everything except for saying that she, I don't, I don't a hundred percent. I'm not a hundred percent on board with her being brave. I think she's making okay. a mistake. Now, okay. hey, that's I, fine. I, I do somewhat agree that, She's taking that chance. And so there yeah. is bravery and courage in that. But it's also a cowardice way because she's repeating her pattern. She's so not, not doing, doing the work of figuring out who she is. Exactly. To go uh, sure. and be alone would have been the far more braver thing to do. So. Sure, sure. Okay, that's, no, and I I think that's I think I think that's uh, I think that's a great way to look at it. You know, especially um, when we and, talk about being in toxic relationships and past toxic relationships and the re- repetition of uh, these patterns, because you know people that have been in terrible relationships, you know, they get that to that point where they feel like they can't uh, get out. Mm-hmm. Um, other than Gideon, like Ramona is is strong and. Yeah. So I feel like, I don't know. I just I feel like it would have been easier for her, maybe. But... So you would have preferred you would have so so you so you 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 would have preferred a much different ending than what we actually got. You you would have preferred her to go through the door by herself and maybe her and knives, I, him and knives either walking away or them just going through the door together, just not holding hands as a couple. They're just right. going through as friends. Right. Maybe as friends. each of the each of them maybe going through a different life experience with each other as friends without there having to be any kind of real type of sexual relationship between them exactly. so yeah i think i mean and i think that's really cool for you to say because i don't think that for audiences um i think 
especially back in 2010. Yeah. Uh, they probably should even probably some now for, if we're being honest, it doesn't make the money. <laughs> that ending doesn't it, make the money. You know, they, yeah. they want to see, they want, you know, but especially then, you know, people want to see that the happily ever the guy after. got the yeah. girl. He got the girl. Good for him. Good job, sport. You and know, in, you know, and in a way it does make sense because knives at the end literally says, but you've been fighting for this. Yeah. Yes. You yes. Know? That's and it, true. it is kind of sweet to see knives give quote her blessing after everything she's gone through. I love knives. Knives is growth throughout throughout this movie because first for a 17 for a high school character to kind of grow and expand kind of her her perception of things at a, at that young of an age mm-hmm. i think is amazing and i and i think that yeah her arc is probably one of my favorite out of like the out of scott ramona and knives all right that's awesome yeah and i have to agree with that 100 percent. not biased uh, at all about that by the way <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Eric, I think you're you're kind of spot on in terms of like what the intent was with that scene, because you can even see like before Knives kind of pushes Scott towards Ramona, you can see how Ramona's like crestfallen and she's like, I opened myself up and fuck, it didn't work. And, and like to me, at least the the look and maybe the intent, I don't know Edgar Wright, mm-hmm. so I don't know if this is, was the intent or not, but it it seemed like that's kind of the emotion that they were trying to get across was like, yeah. she, she grew, she gave it a chance. She was willing to take that step. And then like, good fucking Lord, I got burned again. Yeah. And right. you know, cause like you can see it and then she turns away and then, you know, the whole, bah, 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 where are you going? Oh, all right. Let's, you know, let's walk off or skate off together um, through the door. But yeah, I, I, I feel like the, the story was trying to tell more of what you had described, Eric. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do, you know, again, as a father of daughters, uh, I would much rather, uh, I think the better thing, like in terms of mental health wise would have been what you were laying out, Jen. Uh, but in the end, this is a business and that story does not make money. Mm-hmm. So at least not now. I mean, like it's starting to make money. You're seeing more stories that, that actually show like, you know, good, healthy carving out of like self-care time and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, at, at that time, at that date, it was never going to happen. And right. I, I just want to say that I think, Marty, intent is is really the word that I think perfectly describes what Eric was describing and possibly what Edgar Wright was trying to convey was that intention, yep. intent of this is how the, this is how Ramona grew. Um, but that wasn't the interpretation that I personally had. So, Mm -hmm. but I think Mm -hmm. that's important to kind of note that maybe perhaps, yes, that was his intent and it just didn't hit for all audience members. Yeah, for sure. And that's going to happen. Oh yeah. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't change how I feel about the movie. I still really enjoy this movie. So if you try and make something that everybody loves, you're going to make something that nobody loves. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, I like that. (laughs) All right, so I'm going to go ahead and hit up my stray bubbles. I've got a few more IMDb IMDb bits of trivia. So first, when Ramona asks Scott how old Knives is, the roulette wheel in his mind has the following choices. She's nobody, she's 40, idiot, no speak of English, wins dinner, uh, the tell the Pac-Man story, no, you are, pass out, it was nothing, I got to pee, and who, her? Which made me laugh so fucking hard as an Arrested Development uh, fan because Mae Whitman plays 
a love interest, sort of, uh, to Michael Sarah's character. And no one ever remembers her. So they're always referring to her as her. <laughs> <laughs> so it would have been funnier had that line been used for Mae Whitman's character in the movie, but it didn't work out. But again, also, a deep cut that deep like cut. that kind of writing is what makes these movies awesome. Yep. Um, with speaking about Mae Whitman, her as Roxy, her whip. Now, again, this movie's chock full of video game references and her character in the fight sequence. Um, I think I read could have been a, a an homage to a different video game and, and fight sequence or whatever. But I picked up on Soul Calibur and the Ivy. Er, Ivy, yes. Yeah. Because be, only because of Roxy's weapon was more of like that whip sword and everything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, and I, I just, I love it. That's right, a cool weapon too. It mm-hmm. was. Too bad it's, I, I feel like it's impractical, but maybe that's just because I would be bad at it. Um, <laughs> the stunt doubles of Lucas Lee are the actual stunt doubles for actor Chris Evans. Oh, really? Nice. That's cool. In the first Battle of the Bands, and when fighting the first evil ex, Scott is seen wearing a Plum Tree t-shirt. Plum Tree is an all-girl indie rock band that released the song Scott Pilgrim on their 1998 album, Predicts the Future. The song became the inspiration for Brian Lee O'Malley to create the graphic novel's title character. Oh, cool. Very cool. Kim Pine only blinks once in the entire movie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> aside from that she only breaks her gaze three times uh real canadian coinage was used in all of the sequences where the evil x's are destroyed one of my favorite i love how they just turn into coins and, ding, 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 ding. and all uh, Mark- the, the outlines yeah. in the shapes of bodies in gideon's club <laughs> yeah. uh mark weber claimed that he pocketed 24 dollars from the final scene at the chaos theater <laughs> oh nice that's awesome uh, let's see. And then Ellen Wong made two homemade sex bomb t-shirts for her character to wear. The one selected by Edgar Wright appears in the movie. The other on the DVD extras. Now, there's a shit ton of other fun facts and IMDb trivia, but those were the ones that I selected because I liked them the most. So, Sound logic. Yeah. It's my <laughs> show. I do it a while. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we are going to go ahead and move on to the Six Degrees of Nicolas Cage, Scott Pilgrim versus the World edition, where we get to Nicolas Cage in six steps or less. No. Now, I since I already put it out in the chat, we'll go ahead and throw out the free space of Jason Schwartzman because he's Nick's I, cousin. Oh, I was going to say, like, I actually don't know that one. Like, oh, you said really? that, and I'm like, uh, um, so they're See? cousins? Yeah. Jason yeah. Schwartzman's a Coppola? Yep. Oh. Oh. I didn't know that either. <laughs> I, Eric, that's disappointing because you've been in two Nicolas Cage recordings where I'm pretty sure that has come up. It has it? <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's kind of one of those where I thought everyone knew that. So <laughs> 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 my bad. But so that's the free space since, yeah, I went ahead and dropped it in the chat and you guys didn't know about it. So that's OK. All right. All right. Who wants to go first? <laughs> I'm just dorkier <laughs> than you guys. Uh, I'll go first. I'll go first because mine, I like. I don't feel like I have a really good one here. So Me I'm too. just going to take the easy one that mm-hmm. is Bree to Sam to John to Nick. Brie Larson just... to Samuel L. Jackson, Captain Marvel, Samuel L. Jackson, John Travolta, Pulp Fiction, obviously John Travolta to Nick Cage and face off. Hey, good. that's not bad. That's, that's an really... all right one. Yeah, I like it. 
Uh, mine is uh, so Mary Winstead, who played Ramona, uh, starred in the movie Ten Cloverfield Lane, who <laughs> also co-starred John Goodman. John Goodman. And John Goodman was the co-star who played Larry in Bringing Out the Dead in the 1995 film, which he co-starred with Nicolas Cage. That's right. Oh, I need mm-hmm. to rewatch that one. That one is so fucking good. It is. Oh I saw God. that movie really late in life, and like I kicked myself in the ass for not seeing it sooner. Oh my god, that's that's a good one. I I didn't get it in as a rewatch for our first Nicolas Cage episode, and I'm yeah. I still kick myself for that. So I just might need to do a fun watch for me. Sure. Watch. So I wanted to, I have two of them and mm-hmm. I said I was going to stop doing two <laughs> and clearly <laughs> I've lied. Uh, so my first one, cause I really wanted to start with, I wanted to use Mae Whitman as my starting point. So Mae Whitman was in Parenthood with Lauren Graham, who was in Gilmore Girls with Edward Herman, rest in peace, who was in a civil action with Nicolas Cage. I mean, John Travolta. (laughs) And then face off. Um, Okay. And then. Oh, Edward Herman. Edward Herman. No, Grandpa Gilmore. Fuck, that still makes me ball like a baby. Anyways, Mm -hmm. uh, using the the main character, um, main actor, Michael Sarah, the star, uh, he was in This is the End with Jay Baruchel. Who was mm-hmm. in? Who was the Sorcerer's Apprentice? Yes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you pronounce it? Baruchel, I think. Baruchel. Okay. I just watched I, that movie not that long ago during my Halloween runs. That was good. That's a. I I love that movie. I don't give a shit. I remember coming across it and I'm like, oh, this seems weird and like right up my alley. You know, it's like half magic, half action, half the budget. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like. Yeah, that was fun. That was nice. fun. <laughs> it is a fun one. I yeah, I enjoy that one. So, all right, and now on to the last segment of all of this bibble babble. Um, what has been streaming in your bubble, Eric? Uh, well, let's see. Uh, as you know, I have been rewatching Gilmore Girls again. Uh, I'm on season six, so I'm almost done with it for my second official playthrough. That's <laughs> <laughs> That's replaying in my house right now too. Not not by my choice, but you want, Meg do, do, got do you, to season four and she's like, nope, past the tipping point, gotta power through. <laughs> Boy, with the poodles already. Oh, I love it. Uh, but aside from that, what else have I been? What else have I been watching? Um, so I've been trying really hard to watch season four of Doom Patrol, and that's very been it's been a struggle for me because this season is not hitting the way the previous seasons have. Um. So you and I will have a very interesting episode to talk about, I think, Jen, when we finally decide to do that one. I'm looking forward. To- I haven't started it yet. So I, uh, it, looks that's like, right. it looks like season one is about to end or has ended. Excuse me already. So I'm going to yeah. zoom through it when I get that. No, that's all right. Um, and then otherwise, um, you know what? Honestly, I've just been doing a lot of movies lately. Haven't been watching too many shows. Um, I'm going to be starting Wednesday again on Monday for uh, an upcoming recording. And then um, that's it. Yeah. I don't really have a whole lot to throw out as far as stuff I'm streaming lately. That's not a problem. Marty, what you got? Well, being that I've worked one week in the last month, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've consumed a bit. Uh, Psych is always on in our house and I'm rewatching it with uh, my 14 year old. 
And she's like, you're totally a Sean Spencer, dad. And I'm like, only around certain people. But then, yes, otherwise, most of the time, I'm a Gus. Uh, the the new national treasure show on Disney Plus How with is Charlie's there. How is it? Um, hokey, predictable, fun. Okay. Like it's bubble gum for the brain. It's okay. yeah, it's not difficult to watch. You're not really surprised by a lot of stuff it's like they very clearly just hold back secrets and stuff and you're like oh how did you ever figure out that puzzle it's like with this piece of evidence we never showed you (laughs) (laughs) oh shit nice (laughs) so yeah exactly exactly uh also bad batch uh has restarted (gasps) season two oh nice that's right oh i still gotta watch season one three episodes out of that and then um I never finished the rings of power. So that's, that's what I'm on to um, since Meg is in Orlando this week and we were supposed to watch that together and she was always too tired to watch it. So I'm like, you know what? Sorry, hun. I'm watching it. I'm, I'm digitally, I'm stream cheating on you. I'm just going to watch it <laughs> without you. There you go. So Yeah. Uh, that's, um, that's what's streaming. I just realized there is one show that I forgot to mention that we started watching, but we uh, are a couple episodes behind, but we got to get back into it. And that's Willow on Disney Plus. And that's actually been quite fantastic. It's really fun. It's been really fun to watch. I think you guys will like it. Warwick Davis is just such a great actor and he comes back into that role as if he never left it. So I definitely recommend it. We, uh, I, I, you know, you guys know I will always rewatch Doctor Who, especially in the winter time. And so we got to the episode with him and the eleventh and Clara, and um, and we we're I had it on, and Timmy looks. He's like, "Oh, it's Willow." It's like, "Oh, I didn't." I was like, "We watched this a week ago," because <laughs> that's how <laughs> much I rewatch Doctor Who in the winter time. And I'm nice. like, "You're acting like you've never seen this episode before. We literally watched it a week ago." And he's Which like, episode is that? I can't remember which one it's called, but it's 11 with Clara. And then um, let's see the, and, and, and she's the hurt, the kids that she babysits or na- nannies or whatever. <gasps> oh, um, the Christmas episode you're talking nope, about. Nope. Nope. No, oh, nope, no, that's not a Christmas oh, not episode. That... Oh, nope. no, you're thinking okay. of the widow and the, uh, the doctor, the widow, the wardrobe. So, and <clears> it's not Victorian London, Clara. This is, that's the one I was thinking though. Yep. Right there. Yeah. Uh, that's the snowman, I believe. But this is yep. the one where it's shortly after he he uh, Clara becomes his now companion. Okay. And she calls him as the IT department, right? For something. Yeah, well, that's her first episode, but that's not the episode right. that I'm talking oh. about. So the kids that she nannies, because they're <laughs> they're um they they're black they're little black kids and they're adorable well they're not they're kind of mouthy ross hates them both he thinks that they're too sassy um but they find out that they find all these pictures of clara from the past from her travels with the doctor from the snowman episode and they're like you're a time traveler and convinces her to take them with her on a trip with uh an adventure with the doctor so they go and then they get all um where, where do they end up? I can't. They end up on a planet. There's like the is that is that the one where the doctor's like fighting with himself because he's turning part Cyberman because there's like a, is that a that's this oh where he's playing chess with himself? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's, I, think I remember it's that, that episode. They go but to like the, the end, moon, I think. Yes. Yeah. And then at the end, uh, Willow is named like king of the people or whatever, and so oh, he flies the spaceship okay, cool. and it's 
Willow lives to mm. the end. Everyone lives. Well, not everyone. I'm starting to remember what <laughs> this episode. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, the name, it's escaping me and it's driving me fucking bonkers. It's going to take me too long to find it. Oh, but... where the moon is an egg? That one? No, because that's a Capaldi oh. no, no. episode. No, uh, that's right. Yeah. I know, I, I know which episode you're talking about, Jen. Yeah. So you're talking about, so this is uh, Doctor Who season seven, episode 12, Nightmare in Silver. Yes. Yes. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Yep, I remember the amusement park. Yep. So that was, yeah, that was a that was a long tangent. But anyways, where were we? <laughs> what, what are you we streaming? Were at what Jen? you were streaming? <laughs> you were streaming that entire episode of Doctor Who to your audience <laughs> just now. Yeah. Yep. Um, other than that, I, I'm still in my um, Canadian rewatch of Letterkenny and Shorzy, and so I watched those when the kids aren't around and then when kids are around it's either doctor who or sherlock um restarted kim's convenience and pulled up some classic roseanne the other day so i was watching that with the littlest one and he was like man he's like he's like things were rough in the 1900s and i was like 1990s and he's like doesn't matter not doesn't make a difference i was like it makes a difference <laughs> <laughs> so it does if you want ice cream after dinner. Goddamn right. So. It's good. <sighs> wow. Okay. Well, that is going to do it for us today. I want to thank my tolerables for joining me. Thank you, Marty. Thank you, Eric, for being here and talking about this fun-ass movie. I just, this is so fun. It's so fun. Mm -hmm. I look forward to rewatching it. And actually, I look forward to sharing it with my oldest kid because I think he'd really like it. It's a lot of fun with kids. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and uh, just a quick call out to any other uh, indie podcasters. If you have a promo you would like to share or you would like to be a guest, anyone that wants to be a guest, go ahead and send an email to mystreamingbubble at gmail.com. If you're interested in doing an episode swap feed drops or whatever they're actually called, because that's a lot of fun and it's minimal work on my end. So, yeah. So thank you, Bubblies, for listening today and keep streaming. Bye. 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 See you in horny jail. See you in horny jail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to let me know by rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcast fix. Follow me on Twitter at Streaming Bubble. Find me on Facebook and Instagram as My Streaming Bubble. Have thoughts, suggestions, questions, or want to be tolerated? Email me at MyStreamingBubble at gmail.com. If you want to show your love and support for this little old podcast in monetary form, search My Streaming Bubble over at buymeacoffee.com and buy me a cheese wedge. And if you want to take that love and support to the next level, head over to Redbubble where you can find and purchase My Streaming Bubble merch. All monetary support goes right back into this podcast from new recording equipment to night cheese. Thanks for your support and keep streaming. Should, should we all do a sing-along of the opening song together? No? If you're out on your own, feeling lonely and so cold, all you gotta do is call me and I'll be there on the next train. This is terrible, by the way. We would make the worst doo-wop group ever. The good news is we definitely don't have to worry about copyright infringement.